Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Please come with me. I'll help you get started. But then I've got to get back. Oh, my work is here, darling. And it's never been more important. Hello everyone and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen here today with Patrick Klepek to discuss the season finale, probably series finale, let's just be honest here, <laughs> of Marvel's Secret Invasion streaming right now on Disney Plus. Patrick, thanks for chatting today. Yeah, I'm here. I'm ready to go. I'm revved up. Vroom. Vroom. <laughs> let's let's go, Dave. I'm ready. Let's ride. All right. Uh, so today on the podcast, we are going to be discussing Secret Invasion Season 1 question mark, episodes 5 and 6. Harvest and Home are the titles of the episodes. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. We got some great emails. I'm going to read them later on in the show when it's relevant to discuss them. Um, but you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Become a paid subscriber at decodingtv.com. Support this podcast. Help to keep us going. And of course, follow us on YouTube where we're broadcasting live right now. Uh, at youtube.com slash decoding TV. Um, also on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Or should I call it X? Uh, anyway, uh, we're also on threads, threads.net at decoding TV. So uh, on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to share our overall thoughts on Secret Invasion season one and uh, specifically the finale. Uh, and then we're going to do some detailed recapping of those episodes and then dive into any other specific topics. I do also want to announce. That Patrick Klepek is going to be hanging with us for at least the next few weeks over here on Decoding TV. Probably a little bit longer than that. I'm very <laughs> excited about that. Uh, so our next show that we're going to be covering is Full Circle right here on Decoding TV. That is the Max streaming show uh, that's available right now. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh. Patrick Klepek, it's such a weird time we're living in right now, I have to say, where we have a streaming show. Starring Samuel L. Jackson and Academy Award-winning actor Olivia Colman. It feels like no one is watching or talking about it. <laughs> uh, Academy Award-winning director Steven Soderbergh has made a six-part miniseries with an amazing cast, written by Ed Solomon. Uh, amazing cast. It feels like I haven't heard anyone say anything about it other than like a few scattered reviews. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Things just kind of come and go. But you know what? We're trying to resist that here. <laughs> on decoding TV, we're trying to give everything the attention it deserves. But Patrick, don't you think it's kind of a weird time in the streaming environment? I think it's a weird time in media in general. I think so many things are fighting for our attention, combined with a summer that really feels like. Well, if last summer wasn't the summer where you're breaking out of your COVID bubbles and going places and doing things, certainly it's this summer. And so I just think, in general, we were trending towards an environment where there's just an enormous amount of pieces of media and just life demanding our attention. And 
it's almost never been, it's also then never been harder to reach people. Like how, how market thing these days, like, what, like it used to be pretty, it used <laughs> to be pretty simple, right? You yeah. put commercials out, you put billboards out, you put ads in magazines. It was a, for, there was a formula to follow. And now, now children have their ticky talks and their, <laughs> in these, uh, in these little iPhones with the silicon chips and such. Yeah, but and, with ads, right? Like this is this is one of those things that you know uh, I'm I'm sure you've heard from folks in your life that that have children, um, and I know you've got a, a nephew, right? Um, yes, and it's they don't experience advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not something that is regularly part of their lives. Um, uh, most parents are paying for like YouTube premium or on the Netflix kids tier. Most of the kids tiers of the different streaming services do not have ads, regardless of what you're paying in the cert, like Netflix's mm. ad tier has no ads on the, uh, the on, in the kids section. And so you end up in an environment where as adults, our attentions are split between a billion things. And then for younger generations, the way they experience and consume a lot of media does not often had ad- advertising in it. And so just how do you reach people and make them feel like something is an event? And I think that speaks to the lack of eventiness of the MCU um, or comic book movies or just blockbusters in general? Like, how do you capture and convey, you need to be here? And if you stumble into a meme like Barbie and Oppenheimer did, and then two quality films, you can create something spectacular that becomes an event. But I think it used to be easier to convey to people, this is important. You You should be watching this. And I think it's never been easier for people to say, I don't think so. I don't think I'll be watching this. Well, uh, so I think you can hear from Patrick's anxiety, how are his children going to be advertised to? That's what Patrick really <laughs> cares about. By the way, check out his Substack about parenting and video games at patrickklepik.substack.com. It's true. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, be sure to hang around at, at decodingtv.com. We're doing weekly recaps of Justified, and I'll be covering some more TV shows with Patrick Klepik this summer. Uh, so keep it subscribed. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, now, before we get to today's episode of Secret Invasion, uh, let's talk about a few things that were revealed in the time since our last recording about this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the budget of Secret Invasion leaked. It was in excess of $200 million. <sighs> uh, and uh, six episodes of the show. And it, it does, like, large parts of it look very, very good, I would say. Sure. Uh, the cinematography is great. You know, like, a lot of... Uh, a lot, there's a lot of like different locations, a lot of elaborate sets, and obviously you have some really talented actors. Uh, but I can't help but feeling that they could have spent the $200 million in better ways. <laughs> On that note, by the way, you mentioned Barbie. You know, th- uh, The marketing budget for that movie leaked recently, too. Uh, the marketing budget for that movie leaked, and it's, it was around $150 million. So that's how you create an event out of a movie, Patrick, is you spend $150 million it letting felt people like know it. about it. If that, you know, it was, it was yeah. one of those rare instances where a piece of media felt everywhere. Um, and that's just... It's a, sometimes that's a, you know an organic thing. Sometimes that is like built out of a combination of organic and planned marketing. And and at least Barbie felt like it was inescapable, but also delightful. Which I don't know how to feel like. Ooh, I love being marketed to. This is so much fun. Right. Um, right. Like it did strike a pretty interesting tone with that film in particular, where it didn't feel like it was being it was clear, it was being shoved down our throats. But it was like. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I do want to eat this. Um, like, it's so delightful. <laughs> well, beautifully, beautifully said. <laughs> I, I love the imagery, Patrick. That's really, 
Really appreciate um, that imagery. Um, but, at, but at 200 million, I, I, you know, one of the things that I, I'm, I'd be curious, is, and I'm, I don't know if we'll get any insight into this, is, and, and maybe in the reporting that you've seen about it, there is is something that speaks to it. But uh, I, I'm assuming Secret Invasion was also like one of these COVID productions in which the sheer cost of producing it was up by an exponential amount because of the ex- the extraordinary. Uh, measures that had to be taken on set. Like I, you know, my understanding is like Mission Impossible had a bigger budget as a result that a lot of these that were start and stop and COVID measures end up 200 million is still a lot, like even with that accounted for. But I do wonder how much there is a kind of a, a monetary inflation as a result of the kind of period that it was probably produced in. Very possibly. That said, Patrick, I, I know. <laughs> You probably don't remember, but there are some pretty elaborate action set pieces in this show. So I think that also, you know, the combination of those things probably led to that happening. Um, but I think a lot of people who learn that number, it, it's a staggering number given the kind of dramatic results that we got from Secret Invasion. Um, speaking of dramatic numbers, I have another one for you in a moment. But before we get to that, uh, there was another trailer for The Marvels that was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious if you watched it. I don't watch trailers, but uh, I've heard this one is a great one. Did you have a chance to check this one out? I did. I my um my policy with trailers is I watch the first one and and I did well with Marvel. You can wa- like there's a pattern. You can watch the first two and you're cool. And then once they're in, we need to get your butt into a seat. Uh, that's when I like the, whatever that third trailer is. They're going to start showing you things that that you don't want to see. I've I've found. Marvel is actually pretty decent about um, what they put and don't put in the trailers, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. maintaining um, surprises. I mean, even to the extent of what was the infamously, it was uh, uh, I think Infinity War, right, where they they put in a scene where like Hulk was charging but wasn't actually yeah, they, like charging in in that scene in the film. They've put like they put like fake details in trailers to put throw people off the scent. So, did you enjoy the trailer for the Marvels? Which, by the way, the other thing is it has been revealed. That the Marvels takes place after Secret Invasion. So that was a big I, that was a big debate yeah. that we had. Was like, is it takes place before? Um, but it, it, apparently, the Marvels takes place after Secret Invasion. So if yeah. you've watched the trailers, there is a um, uh, there's a line at the end of Secret Invasion about like why Fury wants a certain character to join them uh, to do a thing uh, that is very clearly setting up a primary plot point of of the Marvel. So I'm glad that it is taking place alongside mm-hmm. that. There, there is some, co- there might be some consequences from this. It also, yeah. there's, there's a line in the trailer where someone says, Hey, remember the secret invasion? No, I'm just joking. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Anyway, so go ahead. I do. I do. I, it looks good. I, I mean, uh, the actor playing Miss Marvel is tremendous. I, all I really want out of this movie is like her to become a star. And for whatever bumps the MCU is going through at the moment, I, I don't want this to be an instance where people uh, don't have a chance to like see her have this like enormous platform and shine on it because for all the the problems with the Miss Marvel show, which is like a really strong show for the first half and then a really messy show in in the second half, like she is a constant delight and is just like to read like set reports where she's explaining to the other actors how the MCU timeline works because she's that much of a nerd. Like the fact that she embodies that character uh, from the page on the screen. I like that. It's, I really hope it leans into being a comedy. It looks very funny. Um, and I'm hoping that it's not just trailer or like, where they're like pulling out the comedic moments to hit certain beats. Um, so uh, I hope that is, is conveying the actual tone of the movie, because I think 
the Guardians is is you know like the MCU has a lot of humor, and Guardians is certainly probably the most comedic of of the the franchises within the MCU. But I think it's rare that you get a straight up comedy. Like She Hulk is the closest they've gone to like trying to do something like that is is straight up comedic from start to finish. Um, and I I would I would hope that I'm hoping that's the direction they go in. But either way, it looks like you know I, is this going to be like Guardians three level good? I don't know, but it looks it looks at the very least very solid. Um, and if you like these characters, like I do, um, I'm going into this with more optimism, uh, than I was going into secret invasion after watching even the trailers for that. So I'm hopeful. The, I am, you're I'm, going I'm hope- into, you're going into the Marvels with more optimism than you are leaving secret invasion. Let's well, that's that not hard. That's definitely not, <laughs> but I don't know that I went yeah. into secret invasion with yeah. Yeah. like the highest of hopes either. Sure, so with sure. Secret Invasion, I was hoping to be pleasantly surprised. With the Marvels, it's more I have a sense of what the floor is. And right. I'm hoping that the ceiling is 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 especially high. Uh Iman Vellani, by the way, I think is the actress you're referring to. I she think plays you are correct. Yes. she plays Kamala Khan in, in Miss Marvel, right? So yeah, yeah. um shout out to her. Okay, uh last bit of notable Marvel related news before we actually talk about this episode of Secret Invasion. Um, and that is that the season finale, probably series finale of Secret Invasion, uh, the, the, uh, this is a new thing. I didn't, I didn't actually know that there was a separate Rotten Tomatoes score for every episode of every Marvel TV show. Uh, and the season finale of Secret Invasion got a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the lowest score for any Marvel project ever. In in the history of time, no no Marvel project has ever received uh, that low of a score. I just thought it's worth noting. Um, <laughs> and, and before we dive into it, I texted you this news, Patrick, yesterday, <laughs> and I think your response is, "Wow, that's really shocking." Um, um, no, it wasn't. I, I, I do I do feel <laughs> I feel like that is represent. I wonder how much that is representative of the reaction to the finale or reaction to the arc of the series right like i think unfortunately for the series it's i wish we'd gotten a better finale than we did but i don't know that people their expectations were awfully low it's not like they really you know the end of episode five which we'll which we'll get to you know like really sets up like a oh here we go. Like there's a line, there's a, here we go line that otherwise is a big singer moment that you can imagine the person writing the script, be like, boom, cut to black. People are ready for next week. And I just, that fell flat. And I think, I think there's very little secret invasion could have done maybe a higher than 13%, but I think it was sort of had set itself up for failure regardless of where the, the finale went. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, let, unfortunately, I don't think it reached above even that floor. <laughs> let's, let's take a look. I uh, just, just so people have the context. I'm, I'm oops. Uh, this image is way too big in this, in the screen. Um, but, uh, this, uh, I'm trying to show this image on screen and it's like comically large. So let me try to re- reduce it. Um, but basically the, Rotten Tomato scores for the rest of the uh, show. Episode 1, 52%. Episode uh, 2, 50%. Episode 3, 38%. Episode 4, 38%. Episode 5, 50%. Episode 6, 13%. So just for, just for some context, as, as you as you indicated, Patrick, it's not like um, the show was burning up the ratings uh, <laughs> before the, the finale. Um, 
<laughs> that that would have been actually sad, right? If it was like the show is amazing, everyone loves this thing. Oh yeah. And oh then, no, guys, you got you just got to get through. There's, there's a common trope. And then they and, fumble. They fumble yeah. the ending, and it's like, oh, that's so that's so sad and tragic. Is like, or, or, the, almost, or the opposite, which is which is a, a common trope in, yeah. in talking about um uh, like long video games, especially RPGs. Is like, look, gotta give it forty hours, and then forty <laughs> hours in, whoo. That new RPG just gets it gets rolling, and so like it, in, in many ways, like what if there was, you know, which is Marvel's own show, Marvel. What if season two, like what if you made a better Secret Invasion series finale? But then you had to tell everyone. But I'm sorry, you have to make it through five episodes. But the the, the season finale is killer, and they redeem Fury, and it's super interesting. Um, that's not the case. That's not the case. It's uh, the it's the inverse. It's the inverse. It's like the rest of the show was kind of bearable. And then the finale really took it down to a whole different depth, unfortunately. The inverse um, is much less interesting than the multiverse. I got to be honest with you. In, indeed. Uh. indeed. Okay. <laughs> Patrick Klepek, ho- uh, co-host of Remap Radio, writer of Crossplay Newsletter. Let's talk about these final two episodes. Episode five, Harvest. Episode six, Home. Uh, what did you think overall of the episodes? Uh... I'm disappointed because I think where we left off um, in our last chat was my expectations were not, you know, especially high for them to stick the landing on what was happening here. But what I was hoping for was, hey, the best that this show has got going for it um, when it has been at its most interesting has been getting like great actors in a room and talking Um, and that like that doesn't really happen in these episodes. I can't really think of a moment that arises to you know, like Vara and Fury at the restaurant or uh, 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 Talos and Fury like on the train or Scrody and Fury, um, you know, uh, before uh, Fury gets fired. Like those are standout moments that uh, I think are excellent um, not just relative to the otherwise kind of subpar quality of Secret Invasion in general. They're just good moments that I enjoyed and they just stand out even more because of the relative subpar quality of the rest of the show and the storytelling. And so, you know, when you go into a Marvel third act, which is the equivalent of these final two two episodes or um, in any of their films, I think like broadly speaking, the third act is is if the spectacle doesn't deliver then there's not much else for you there um, because uh, the third act is always just the big characters with the powers whacking each other. And it's like, woof, if that part's not exciting, then you're not, there's not much to chew on in the, in the final moments. And these final two episodes don't have those character moments I was looking for. There are instances in which they try, but I just don't think it delivers. And they, they go for a real moment at the end of uh, episode six. Like there is a, and this is what the road we were on all along to get this moment. Like music swell. Where are those tears in your eye, uh, viewer? And it just none of it landed uh, for me. I think this is a real disappointment for it doesn't seem like it's Fury's finale for for the MCU, especially if this takes place, um, you know, ahead of the Marvels, which um, I'm assuming the Marvels won't kill Fury off. Also, the way that uh, Samuel Jackson talks about the character it seems like he's communicating to Marvel that I love doing this character. Please don't like, I'll just keep doing this until I can't do it. He seems to truly adore playing this character. And so I think that's where I end up 
at the end of it is that like you have this masterclass actor being doing something. How often has he been in a television show? Basically never. This is somebody we see on the screen in film and you had an opportunity to yes, within the constraints of a comic story, but there, even within those constraints thematically in terms of content, um, in terms of the kinds of <laughs> um, F-bombs maybe we expect from Samuel Jackson in, in some of his work. Um, this is a disappointing showpiece for this actor who deserved more. This character for their journey in the MCU deserved more. Um, and I think that's ultimately my biggest disappointment is I can – ultimately, I don't really care, like, did they do the Scrolls storyline justice relative to, like, what was in the comics? Like, ah, what I was here for was like, I wanted to spend six ish hours with Samuel Jackson and a character that they care about. And I think the show failed to deliver on that, that basic promise to its character, its actor and to the audience. Beautifully said, Patrick. Uh, I did want to share this comment that Bob Iger made recently. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but he's been going on a press tour and uh, I don't know that it's going well, you know, like it's, but he's talked about how he's acknowledged how uh, the quality of, of Marvel streaming content. He's basically come out and said, it's not that great. Like he, he said, quote, uh, Marvel is a great example of our focus on streaming content. We ended up taxing our people way beyond their time and their focus. They had not been in the television business at any significant level. Not only did they increase their movie output, but they ended up making a number of television series. And frankly, it diluted focus and attention, end quote. I, I think what we are witnessing when it comes to these Marvel TV shows is people who don't seem like they understand how to make a TV show. Like, yeah. they don't understand the rhythms of what a good TV show is, of what episodic television is, and, you know, how you, the feelings you're supposed to leave people with at the end of each episode or each season, how episodic TV fits into the bigger picture of the MCU. Like, it never feels like it's particularly consequential. Um, and so, it's been rough. I, I think that Secret Invasion is pretty much a complete disaster. Um, yeah. There is, I, f- I feel comfortable saying, you know, we're hopeful in the first episodes, but like, hey, this could go a bunch of different places. And it's not like there's there's, there's uh, nothing good in the series. Uh, you get to watch Olivia Coleman have some fun. Get to watch Samuel L. Jackson have some fun. There's some interesting ideas hinted at in the show. But ultimately, none of it really comes together. Uh, none of it really adds up to anything substantial. I will be shocked if when you watch the Marvels, you think to yourself, oh, man, we really needed to see Secret Invasion to understand this. I will be stunned if anything like that happens. In... <laughs> if, any, if anything, at this point, I'm hoping they just pretend it didn't happen. Um, because... Just cut their losses. Just cut their losses. Well, we'll get we'll get into this, and I know we have a, a great uh, letter uh, from somebody addressing this, but essentially like where this show leaves Fury as a character in terms of his relationship with, as a protector of Earth, as like a bastion of, of humanity, and essentially like the core of this character that has been communicated throughout this franchise and tried to be distilled as, as his arc for returning post-snap hiding in space, coming back to earth and like trying to um, revisit these elements of, of a past life. I mean, where they leave this character in this show is a night is a nightmare is not the character that I think people have been rooting for. And I don't think the show understands 
what it like it leaves on a triumphant sort of note and it's like the house is on fire like fury like what do you go back to space what are you talking about it, um, it is arguably character assassination like it is it arguably ruin like eviscerates the character of nick fury in many ways uh that we will discuss but I, I think I would say it is a massive disappointment. The show, um, it's really, it's really sad that so much effort and energy and talent was expended on something that that basically doesn't add up to very much. Um, and I think that like we we all the pieces are there. Bob Iger has already said it. like it's not like there's any mystery as to why this happened this way. Like they wanted to get as much streaming content onto Disney Plus as possible, and they overstretched their creative resources to the point where they ended up not delivering something very good uh and that's kind of the the result is secret invasion so it's it's funny because the that comment could just be any commenter on a youtube channel and it's also the head of disney not a great place (laughs) you want to be where it's a good point marvel fan five six two three also the head of the company (laughs) you know know, know what i mean like like that's a bad place for marvel to be where the kinds of um I think this at this point earned cynicism or skepticism about like Marvel projects that were like because the scale of development, the scale of production, the scale of post production, it is so difficult for a ship this big to pivot. It is not as though like I, I am sure the people involved in this to some degree understand the problem, but answering it is well. We'll see in two and a half years when the when we can address it. You know what I mean? Like it is not as though there's only so much post production editing and finagling can do when the initial thing is so deeply flawed because of this stretching of creative resources in order to to deliver something. And you stack that on top of COVID and everything else, and you end up in the mess that we're in. But then it's just you can know the problem. The solution is not replicate a thing that has never happened in Hollywood before do it again. Like that's an enormous problem in and of itself. But then also knowing that all like movies like the Marvels and, and, and other the films that are coming out, you know, next year, like those were all put into motion with this, these same creative restraints. And so that's what I'm so curious to see what happens in the next two years. Cause it really feels like the pivot point for this universe is, Fantastic Four and the introduction of the X-Men. And that is a long time from now, broadly speaking. And what what erosion of trust happens to the Marvel Universe between uh, now and then? Like, you really want to put out that probably pretty mediocre Agatha show? Boy, that seemed like a good idea two years ago. And now that feels like an albatross like, hanging around right. I, Disney's, I, Disney's neck. I mean, it's got a I, stacked, stacked cast. Like, I want to see Audrey Plaza... In that show, she's probably going to be delightful, but I have I don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to be an excellent show. It's possible that that show will never be released. By the way, I, I, I just <laughs> I think I think I think it is possible we never see the Agatha show uh, yeah. ever. But uh, all eyes right now are on Loki season two, co- still coming out this fall, and the Marvels. I, I feel like season uh, phase four and five of Marvel have been pretty adrift so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not really loved anything in those phases other than maybe Guardians Volume 3. Um, and, you know, Multiverse of Madness is fun to have Sam Raimi directing something. But, like, other than that, I haven't really loved any of these movies or any of these TV shows. I'm hoping that 
you know, Ms. Marvel and or the Marvels, I should say, and and Loki season two can help to write the ship. So anyway, those are some overall thoughts on the Secret Invasion finale as well as episode five. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. All right, let's talk about what actually happens in these episodes. Episode five, Harvest. I'm just going to start off by saying, we, we, so if you'll recall, I, I know it's, take yourself back to the mindset of two weeks ago, Patrick. <laughs> we weren't sure if Talos was actually dead, right? Yeah. Uh, really he, hoping he wasn't. Really hoping we, he wasn't. We, we, we're hoping he wasn't. Um, but it turns out he's dead. And by the way, Nick Fury apparently isn't even that bothered by it. That's kind of my sense, right? Like, no, oh, that's, I didn't even put that. To, all right, Dave, I did not even process the idea that Fury did not. Even, like, it's just unremarked. Yeah, it's unremarked. Just, barely even. Oh, lifelong friend dead. Like, oh, whatever. One of the most touching things that happens in this show is that moment where they they touch foreheads as a way of expressing in the first like, episode right yeah yes it's 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 like a really beautiful like expression of of a friendship that you know is you know not traditional compared to uh, the way you know handshakes and and hugs and stuff. I, I thought there was a really neat expression of that um and, and yeah that's we just fucking die and he just doesn't unremarked upon just oh whoops off screen um he's grieving he's really grieving off screen in an alley somewhere and we just didn't have time for it oh that's bad oh you're making it worse for me in real time like like they don't even you know um i remember uh you know we watched we talked about 24 in the last episode of uh decoding tv together and one moment that really sticks out to me in 24 is at the end of season three of 24 like at the end of season one and two of 24 there was like a big moment like so and so is dead so and so has been assassinated like and and so like at the end of season at the end of season three of 24 i was expecting i was like ooh, i wonder like is there going to be another atomic bomb like whatever but instead if i recall correctly jack bauer played by Kiefer sutherland gets into his car and just cries for like a minute like that's that's what all-time tv moment yeah, all amazing, TV amazing TV. He just like lets the weight of uh, all the events hit him, and uh, 
I don't think we really got that for Nick Fury and Talos or you know any anything along those lines. Um, and it's not hard to do, you know. It's just show show Samuel Jackson crying in a room by himself. Yeah, um, it seems like he can do it at the drop <laughs> of a hat. Just like, it's, oh, did someone say I, I need I need to cry? Like, I got this. I he's, his face his face is so expressive. And, yes. Uh, I, I will say one of the things one thing we did predict was, uh, hey, it seems like Gravix one trick is he uh, like in every episode he like kills a major character. And mm-hmm. that did happen in episode five, right? Like there was that mm-hmm. one guy protesting him and he did kill that guy. And I was like, oh, Gravix killing another uh, main character on the show. So he's got, a, he's got his MO. He's got his thing. He's got his thing. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Every villain needs everyone a thing. Got, everyone got their thing, you know? Okay. Uh, so Fury gets the president to the hospital and whispers, hey, don't trust Scrody, which is our name for, and, and Caroline Sita from Episodic Medium's name for Scroll version of Rhodes. Um, Gravik pitches Scrody on having the president attack Russia. Soon afterwards, Scrody is pinned to a wall by an angry fury anxious to out him. Scrody says footage of him killing Maria Hill is about to be broadcast, prom- prompting him to leave. Um, Sonia Fallsworth unmasks a scroll with information about Gravik's super scroll plans, while Gravik deals with more resistance in his movement, and he kills a scroll who's critical of him. Um, a fight breaks out. Gravik kills some more people. Fury meets with Gaia in the spot where Fury first pitched the scrolls on helping him and where Gaia reveals Gravik is after something called the Harvest. Uh, let's pause here for a moment. <laughs> there, there's a question of like, why didn't uh, Gravik kill Fury in episode five, right? Like, and it's, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's because Fury has something he needs. Mm-hmm. The Harvest, Okay. Uh, which, by the way, we learn is like a bunch of DNA scraped from the ground, apparently by scrolls, uh, combined into a single vial. Which, let me just say, I'm not a doctor, um, but don't don't throw in a bunch of people's DNA together in a vial. Like it's it's not going to. Um, it arguably will render it useless. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, so there's this thing called the harvest and. I'm just going to say, I'm going to put this out there, Patrick. I feel like if you knew that that was what Gravik's plan was for the whole time, none of the show would make sense. <laughs> um, uh, because basically the whole time you're watching the show, it's like, oh, here, here, is, um, here is what my reaction is after watching the whole show to Gravik's plans. Oh, it's a good thing blank didn't happen. Uh, episode one, Gravik explodes 3,000 people in a Moscow... Uh, public area. Well, it's a good thing that didn't kill off Nick Fury. It's a good thing Nick Fury wasn't imprisoned in a supermax jail that was impossible to get out of. You know? Uh, Gravik hires Nick Fury's wife to murder him. Oh, it's a good thing she didn't succeed. Uh, because uh, otherwise he wouldn't be able to get that harvest. You know, like, what? what was the plan? Is my question. Anyway... Really shocking episode five reveal of the heart. Maybe I'm missing. Maybe there was a big grand plan. You know, does Gravik's plan make sense to you, Patrick? That's my question. No, um, <laughs> no, it, it's, it really feels, it, it, it almost feels like the show is grasping at like, what's going to be our big set piece at the end. Like how, right, right. Like, okay. Gravik, super scroll. Cool. Well, do we have any other Avengers we can put on screen? No. All right. <laughs> how are we going to make, a fight interesting can fury do that 
mm, my man's pretty old. I don't know how much of a uh, impact he's going to have. And so I like in many yeah. ways this it, is it, the, it's like they it, reverse engineered it from like what they wanted the final set piece to be. Basically, it really right? does, and and yeah. it, it is I think endemic to the the formulaic nature of. Uh, I mean, a lot of action movies, but especially uh, uh, superhero films in general, well, they have to have this climactic fight at the end. Like that is, oh, that is that is part of what we do. And like building up to the big uh, bashing of the action figures and in, in, in trying to engineer that, that's how you arrive at some of these storylines. Whether it's actually happened, who knows, but it it feels that way. And it as a result, it doesn't feel tense or interesting. And it's, as you point out, the moment you start really thinking about the consequences of the actions that have occurred to this point, it doesn't, none of it really adds up. And it's totally fine to hand wave stuff if the reveal is interesting, if it uh, uh, we learn something about the characters in a surprising way where it's like, okay, fine. It's a, a plot and can be convenient if it's, if, if it's justified, right? If it, if it justifies the, the convenience that it's doing along the way. And I think as we're both arriving at is like, no, I, none of that feels like it's, it's not earned. And even if you're to, to grant it uh, the grace of, of not being earned, like where we arrive is not like particularly interesting as well. Sonia tracks down some scroll scientists, kills one of them and intimidates the other into providing information. Uh, I, I actually like the scene, Patrick. I thought it was it's fun to see Olivia Coleman having some fun shooting dudes in the head. You know, like oh, she's uh, she's great. She like I I delight in actors that uh, can be one of the the greatest actors of our time, and also just happy to chew scenery and yeah. engage in, which I'm sure she thought was going to be some fun genre work, and unfortunately is just you know uh, a pretty uh, work a pretty poor yeah, just, just work just work because she doesn't need that right like um but uh uh i mean she's having she's such a highlight of the show because every time on screen you're like well i'm gonna have a smile on my face regardless of the actual actions occurring because she just uh, just immediately lights up a room in a, in a way that um i get excited every time her her name is attached to to pretty much anything uh, I wrote in the show notes because I'm reading from the recap. Like, what information did you get out of the squirrel scientist? Do you remember that by any chance? Like, what that was about? Wasn't it like a lo- location of the? Okay, so I feel like they were they were looking at a map, like a plan. All right, all right, um, all right. that's that's fine. <laughs> um, simultaneously, Gaia meets up with Vara, seeking to help help to formally bury her father Talos, and Gravik demands Fury hand over the harvest. As Gaia and Vara perform a scroll memorial ritual, the two connect over their complicated relationships with the people they love uh, uh this is a cool idea like this idea that you know and I, I i am an immigrant person myself and like this idea of like oh there's all these like rituals and customs that you don't know because you've you grew up in a different place and like that's a very profound thought uh and you know just as i fear we're we're threatening to get into like really a lot of gravitas um the moment is broken up by Gravik soldiers. <laughs> and and I, I have to say, this scene really bummed me out. And and, and let me explain why. Uh, so they're kind of like bonding over this, like, oh, burying Talos, Talos. And like, oh, what does it mean that I don't know the, ch- the ritualistic chant and all that stuff? Um, and then there's this big action scene. And the action scene is really well done. Like, I actually think it's a great action scene. Uh, because basically Vara like pulls out this vest 
and she has like a, a combat vest that she like pulls out for herself and like hands one to to Gaia and they both like have these guns and they start shooting and it's really well done and the reason it bummed me out was because I was thinking to myself this is really all this show has to offer is mm-hmm. like this is the best of this show is just this like brutal violence and this like brutality basically all that said pr- pretty solid action scene pretty solid mo- most of the action scenes have been like pretty strong throughout this show in my opinion so and, yeah and um and, and it's uh it breaks up, if I recall correctly, a moment between Gaia and Vara where I think Gaia kind of needles Vara on what, like how they got along or, or like the, the nature of Fury is, is Fury in love with the costume that Vara yeah. is wearing. And like, again, like this is like so many things that we've, we've t- I feel like this is the talking point we've returned to over and over in, in analyzing and talking in the show is like, I feel like I'm staying like, I'm like, you know, like I'm sitting and pointing at the TV and I was like, that's a cool idea. Like, (laughs) keep going show. And then instead soldiers, soldiers bust in like Kevin Feige's like, no way, bucko. Like can't have that in the show for too long. And yeah, it it almost is like the perfect symbolic demonstration of like what's wrong with the show in many ways. Yeah. Right. Um, Because it's like these, these two characters who like on paper, like, have so much to dis their experiences are so vastly different and that I, that could have been explored and like the the funeral scene is is touching but not particularly long their conversation is interesting but not particularly long and it's just that that's and then just having pe- i mean literally people swing in and kick through a window and it's like no get the guns out and it's it's fine like you're right it's a totally uh fine enjoyable action scene that in the moment is enjoyable, but then it's when you do any of that reflection on well, what was lost in those six minutes that we spent getting that that cool action scene. It was like, oh, it's introspection between Vara and Gaia, especially given that Gaia is broadly in this show, like exposition and plot movement as opposed to a character. And it's a rare instance where she gets a chance to express herself and it's just like no 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 we we can't have any can't have any more of that can't have any of that bad yeah so uh fury meets up with sonia informs sonia about scrody and the harvest uh which is a mission where fury tasked gravik and others with collecting dna from the various avengers after fighting thanos the two arrive at a cemetery with a gravestone featuring fury's name where he reveals the real reason he hasn't asked the avengers for help earth needs to defend itself we can't rely on the Avengers, this whole thing that I've been building up for decades. Earth needs to defend itself. And also, we already spent $200 million on this movie, this show. <laughs> we can't spend another five for you know to get Thor on screen. Yeah. Uh... Fury grabs the Harvest, a pistol, his familiar eye patch, and his signature beanie before heading off to fight Gravik. Uh, kind of... I'm kind of a, this. Kind of a silly, like, suit-up scene. Like the, It's like putting on the eye patch is such a big deal, you know, whatever. It's fine. Uh, what's funny about this whole scene is Sonya's like, so you're just going to give him the harvest, huh? Pretty stupid plan. And and <laughs> and Nick Fury's like, yep, yep, you know, yep, that's the plan. It's pretty dumb. Um, or is it? Or is it, Patrick? Or is it? Uh, any other thoughts on episode five before we get to the finale itself? Uh, no, I mean, but I do think, uh, the, you know, the, the last thought I have on that episode is it's really that, that moment 
where he's putting on the eye patch, like I think is is really meant to be that kind of like, oh yeah, moment for for this character. This isn't a character that has a hammer to pick up or a suit to put on, right? And so there's kind of a limited seer like set of options to where you feel like you're slipping into something iconic for this character. Mm-hmm. And it's true, like this isn't been a series. I don't know how long or how how often he doesn't does or doesn't have the eye patch on, but like the the show is communicating to you. Hey, this is a big deal. He is he is slipping in to an old, like functionally an older version of himself for one last job. Like he's he's gonna he's gonna put all this on and he's gonna go do what Nick Fury does best, which is operate outside the system and take care of it himself. And even that one liner he's got at the end, it's it's just like if that moment, which it feels like the show has been built is like in theory building to, like four or five episodes, falls flat. The the like, one the one are you talking about? He's like on the phone and he's like, "Let's yeah. go," or it's time. Yeah. He says something like, yeah. "You know, let's go." Right. Yeah. yeah, and the music swells. I think it's like it's time to end this. And yeah. and uh, you know, the music swells, and you've got this shot of him walking off with his uh, with his you know with his with his suit just like kind of swaying in the wind, and you're supposed to be like, "Yeah," and like the fact that there's no "yeah" in like I feel like the "yeah" is like the most common uh, emotion in watching these franchises is like they want you to go. Yeah. And like I got to that moment and was like, oh, um, and that's a bad place to be as a series that is is really meant to be about getting you excited about the next moment, um, because I don't know that I was excited for what was on the other side. Have you seen Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer yet? No, I have not. I, I I'm I, we're trying to line up a babysitter to, to go see it and see it. OK, proper, I, proper I don't I, I don't think this is a spoiler, but basically Relatively early on in the movie, mm-hmm. there is a scene where Oppenheimer has a su- like a superhero suit up scene. No joke. Okay. No joke. Okay. He's like standing at a window and he like <laughs> take, he gets his like pipe and he gets his hat and it's just like a superhero <laughs> suit and it's like wow, I just saw this in Secret Invasion recently. <laughs> um, it's also funny how he has like a separate compartment for every single like he has a separate compartment for his eye patch if I recall correctly. Anyway. Does um, he have those everywhere? Like, don't I mean again? Like, it's scrutinizing the logic of what like is, is like one pistol. Like, does it need any ammo? I mean, like, okay, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It's, it's, fine. It's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Patrick, we're going to get into much more detailed issues with this episode. Momentary. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's why. That's why I'm saying it's fine. It's just push that one to the side. Let's talk about episode six, the season finale, home. Vara and Fury reconnect with a phone call that feels like a final goodbye. Fury heads towards Gravik while Scrody tries to convince the president they should attack Russia. As Fury moves in, Sonia Fallsworth informs Scrody that Fury's coming to take out the president. When Fury reaches Gravik, he fumbles medication meant to suppress the surrounding radiation poisoning, uh, poisoning him. Gravik reveals the person he's impersonating is the first human he killed on behalf of Fury, and those and other deaths fueled his rage against Fury and, and humanity. Fury reveals he never could find a planet for the scrolls to settle on, and realized it was easier to hide the scrolls on Earth than to reveal their presence. He hands over the Harvest, a collection of DNA from all the major Avengers, in exchange for the scrolls leaving Earth. As Gravik rejects the offer and infuses the Harvest, Sonya accuses Scrody of being a scroll. When Super Scroll Gravik attempts to kill Fury, it's revealed Whoa! Plot twist! <laughs> Fury is actually Super Scroll Gaia. All right, let's talk about this part. Uh-huh. So that was the plan. That maybe that's who he was on the phone with at the end, right? 
I assume. Was was Gaia. He's like, let's go. Let's do this plan. You're going to impersonate me. Uh, You know, I love how, by the way, in the show, they're basically like, hey, scrolls can impersonate people of different heights. Okay. We're just fine with it. Like, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Emily Clark's like four foot ten. You know, it's like, it's fine. She's impersonating someone like two feet taller than her. Um, that's not, that's not my biggest issue with this whole thing. First of all, I actually really loved this dialogue sequence between, uh, Nick Fury and Gravik. Yeah. Uh, this is like when Kingsley Ben Adir, by the way, who, uh, ha- did an amazing job in one night in Miami, amazing job in Barbie. Uh, he really gets to deliver some dramatic, uh, material and it really bummed me out too because like the, the 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 dialogue sequence is so good the monologue or whatever is so good but it's undercut by two things number one i think this is the first time we're getting any of this information <laughs> like that that nick fury like forced gravic to kill a bunch of people like i we know nick fury had them pick up dna we know he had them keep things secure but like I think the full extent of Nick Fury's effect on these people, you know, I, I, I guess it's uh, he, oh, his, his child army, Dave, his child army that we're just going like, to go unremarked. Well, I guess, I, I, you know, was it clear to you that like that Nick Fury had caught like forced these people to perform atrocities? Like, I, I don't know, like. Or to kill a bunch of people? I guess it was implied, right? But I don't know that it was explicitly stated. Maybe it was. Well, I don't think the show really wants to wrestle with those, like, the messiest of details. They want this angry uh, villain that has all of this this rage and uh, uh, discomfort and and trauma from the experiences they went on, but doesn't articulate exactly what that means. I mean, you get the moment where Gravik says, like, you know, this person I killed, they had a family and they had children, but I did the mission. And I think he says something like, and maybe they were misguided, like to justify the, the and it's like, it was like a very, it was a very weird, it's almost, like it's. Right. Like, so was, was he right to kill him or not? Was, was he defending was the first- Fury? Like, I mean, it was cool <laughs> that I killed that guy Fury, but it was all the other guys that I didn't. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's so, it, it's, it's very easy to imagine like how even just like uh, seemingly justified actions taken by Gravik on behalf of Fury would take a toll over time, especially if Fury is not delivering on the other half of that bargain, which is a place to call their own, a place to not wear these human masks 24 seven and not being their true selves. Cause at the end of the day, like that is like, that's the central tension of this show. That is, is that, and it's un, and it, the fact that it's unresolved um, as a result of the actions of Fury, but like, Part of, part of my issue with this entire conversation is like I can't t- like on that conversation. Did Fury also have like a therapy talk with Gaia to be like, yeah, and here's the ways I really screwed up, like, uh, and I need you to convey this in a dramatic exchange with Graphic so he can be distracted. You know what I mean? Like they give a moment that actually should be between Fury and Graphic, and because they've painted themselves into a, a you know up, they're kind of pinned up against the wall where they need to also execute this plot twist with with Gaia. It, it feels powerful in the moment and then is robbed of all of its emotional resonance because Fury didn't say it. Um, and then the actions of Fury by the end of the show certainly don't seem to imply a, a person who has a whole ton of regret over the actions that they 
uh, whether they feel justified or not that they undertook with with Gravik and the rest of the scrolls. And so it's just a yeah, very... like like Fury himself never gets a moment to like acknowledge no, whether or not the he... audience hears it from a mask of Fury, but we yeah. don't actually know if that's how Fury right. That's feels. how Fury actually feels, right? Maybe, but maybe maybe he conveyed that all to Gaia. He's like, hey, I Fury feel really bad about this. So you gotta convey this to grab. Make sure, make make sure you say it to him like you're gonna say it to me like you're gonna say it to him. Okay? Yeah. Say it to me. Like, and well, yeah. and they do set, they do try to set some of this up thematically yeah. where it could have landed right. Like so in the, in the train scene um, where he talks about growing up, and the show does try to play with the ideas of the black experience and how difficult it is to assimilate into like a largely like white culture and then is playing with those ideas, not to necessarily the best degree with like an extension with the scrolls. And like the idea that this show would land with fury where he determines as a result of his own experience as uh, a black person is like, if I can't do it, how the, how are you shape shifting alien? Like, it's just not going to happen. But it sounds like he never had that conversation. And even if he had that moment, like, didn't communicate it to, to the scrolls. And so it just, it leaves it all in a really shabby, weird place where it's like, I can see the thematic resonance that you're trying to make with this character's lived experience and how that would be felt potentially empathetically by the scrolls. But we never even get these characters in a room to talk about that and to, and to work it out. Um, and, by by all accounts, the end of this series is like, well, and see the scrolls later, I guess. Um, like, it's, you know, it's not really clear, like, how much impact, like, their presence in this in this universe even is going to to mean going forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that was the second thing that undercut the conversation is it's not even Fury that's that he's talking to, right? Yeah. And let me just give you some advice, Patrick Klepek. Like, mm, hit me. let there be one takeaway from this show, okay? Mm. Is if you're going to infuse the DNA of a bunch of superpowered superhero Avengers into your body via a elaborate science fiction esque machine, make sure there's no one else in the device before you turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> Did no one watch David Cronenberg's The Fly? Like. <laughs> I guess he's just like, hey, I'm going to turn this on, and it doesn't matter that Nick Fury is in it because because it's not going to fuse. Because it's human. not gonna, he's a human. It's not going to do jack for the, for Nick Fury. It's right. designed to work with scroll scroll DNA only. Right? Seems like whatever that machine does might just like turn Nick Fury into goo, though. Like, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess Fury, you know, uh, 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 I'm just not sure what the plan was. Uh, well, there. also, I love uh, Victor Games in the chat room says, why did Daenerys need a Geiger meter? Uh, you know, uh, Gaia had a Geiger meter with her with her, and yeah. also like a bunch of pills. Hey, um, Victor, it's called committing to the part. Uh, and I'm sorry you don't understand <laughs> that. You know, because well, she does do it's It's one thing to commit to the bit. uh in person in in front of graphic because you're 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 trying to convey a, a role but she, yeah you're right she checks the geiger counter when nobody's watching like, well, you, like, you, you don't hey maybe uh graphic is observing her on camera uh patrick okay <laughs> you ever see the prestige right remember the prestige yes, and how like yes, uh, there's yes. that scene when the old guy's walking to the carriage and and 
Christian Bale is like, this is the performance, you know? It's when the <laughs> old sorry. guy, I, it, I you know, this is the I performance apologize. is when Gaia is checking the Geiger counter uh, <laughs> when Gravik is not looking, you know, like that's, that's what you really need. It's definitely um, okay. not suggesting that maybe there was like a totally different way this finale played out and, and like they're doing some clever cutting around to, to arrive at where they're at. That would be wild. That would be wild, by the way, if that was <laughs> if, if that was true. Right. Uh, if, if it was like originally it was actually supposed to be Fury there and maybe they killed Fury off in some original version. Who knows? I have no idea. Anyway, anyway. Um, so. <laughs> so then a massive. So. So. OK. Gravik is like, hey. Let's let bygones be bygones. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave fury in the machine as we infuse ourselves with the super scroll stuff um by the way we see a lot of uh a lot, lot of nice little easter eggs in the uh on the screen when they're getting infused right uh there's like a screen that has thanos abomination ebony maw hulk chitari uh you know a, a bunch of mantis like all these people like their their names pop up on the screen so there's a lot of like uh, Avengers references there. And then a massive fight ensues. So a fight between Gravik and Gaia ensues with each swapping between different MCU power sets. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of the fight, Patrick? Like screenshots of this fight have been circulating online. It's bad. Um, a, a lot of um, shots look bad. Like, like in particular, there's a scene where Gaia grows Drax's arm like yeah. Gaia grows a Drax arm. It looks very silly, but there's also a lot of questions about like, aren't those like Drax tattoos? Why does Gaia have Drax tattoos on her arm? And it's it's because right um, is that part of his DNA? No, it's probably because they want you to recognize, hey, that's Drax's arm. So they put you know Drax's arm like with tattoos on it on Gaia, and it's like okay, it's very very silly. You know, it's very silly. And it doesn't past- look great. Yeah, I can get past the logic holes on it because part of the fun of the concept is like you pointing at the screen and this functioning kind of like an Easter eggy uh, sort of thing where you're like, Oh, I remember that. remember that. Like, again, like the nature of this, these types of stories, whether they're in in films or television shows or comics is, is like, I can, I can look right past the logicals if it's cool and fun. And like, that's what this, this fight should be like, Oh man, like what if you put the Avengers in a blender and then got to see what that, looks like and you know you mentioned earlier about hey this is a show that seemed to cost 200 million dollars and yes in a lot of ways like it looks nice it looks like uh, equivalent to sort of like the prestige tv we sort of expect where it's like a a movie and television format in terms of production but the moment that i want to see that 200 million dollars is that fight is like i want that to be staged and look awesome because of the the imagery that it's working with and like the fantasy that it's projecting. And instead it's just, it doesn't look good. It's not staged particularly well. I'm not even really sure how Gravik dies. <laughs> like, like I, I, Oh, they just both decided Captain Marvel was really powerful and d- decided to use Captain Marvel's and like one blast from Captain Marvel to Gravik's chest. They can heal other things, but I guess, if you take out the heart or the holes big enough, you can't heal that, you know, like that, that stuff just wasn't really right, communicated right. to me in terms of like what actually prompted like the, the, the W for, for, for Gaia at the end of that fight. 
it made me feel really bad for Amelia Clark, honestly, who I think is quite a talented actor, yeah. uh, but now has been involved in two ignominious endings of series that have he- like heavy CGI action scenes that don't look that great. Well, actually, no, the CG in Game of Thrones look fine, but yeah, uh, but yeah, like. I've seen Amelia Clark in this. I've seen them in um, the Terminator movie. I think it was Genesis, and yeah. they just and even in Game of Thrones, and they just they deserve better projects than than what they're getting here. I agree. Um, did you watch She Hulk, Patrick? I did. Did I quite I quite liked uh, She Hulk. Um, Spoilers like for She Hulk, Attorney at Law. Uh, but at the end of She Hulk, She Hulk. Kind of, kind of uh, goes to the Mar- infiltrates Marvel's actual offices in real life, mm-hmm. um, and discovers that Kevin Feige isn't a man but an AI called K E V I N Kevin, uh, the most advanced entertainment algorithm in the world. Uh, and she kind of lays out what she thinks is the problem with these Marvel TV shows. She says, quote, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is known for its big spectacles and high stakes plot lines, but it's often said that Marvel movies all end the same way. Perhaps this is a result of following some unwritten rule that you have to throw a bunch of plot and flash and a whole blood thing that seems super suspiciously close to super soldier serum at the audience in the climax. I propose we don't have to do that. It distracts from the story. Uh, and then she talks about the story of She-Hulk, end quote. Um, well, it seems like no one listened to her, <laughs> basically, for this show. I would submit that no one listened to her. Um, because it basically, you know... She made fun of the, that kind of ending in that show, yeah. and then this is a show that basically ended up having exactly that kind of ending. So yes, I mean it's it's the kind of show that it's a, you know Pish is a spy thriller um, in which like central to those sorts of stories is people talking, right? And like what has been the thing that we've liked the most about this show when it's done something interesting? It's people talking, and like I wish that's how this show ended was. Fury and Gravik across the table from one another, like, like talking about what has happened to the both of them. Like Fury, like we're left unresolved on Fury and the trauma that they have, like that experience post blip and um, uh, post Thanos, like that is set up early in this series as like central to something that Fury needs to resolve and deal with by the end of the show just completely forgotten, just not, just not even a thing with Fury by the end. And Gravik, uh, like clearly went through a trauma at the hands of Fury. Like these characters have a lot of shared trauma as a result of their circumstances. Yeah. And I, this was, you're exa- exactly right to bring up that moment in She-Hulk. Cause it feels like it is primed to be like, have diffused that moment specifically where like, I don't know, Fury breaks the, the, the harvest and like just tosses it at the ground and then they're forced to resolve whatever's going on, even if it's a gunfight, but like in a different way or something. And something that was felt high stakes emotionally, but was low stakes in terms of what was being uh, displayed in terms of action on screen. And this is the kind of show that 100% should have done that given the broad lack of powered characters and that it chose to go in that exact direction and then not even do that part well is like is really distressing and I think says a lot about their broader storytelling problems of the MCU, especially when they like how how were we putting it before? Like it's like this kind of genre appropriation where it's like, oh, we're telling one of these kinds of stories. Right. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Um uh just because you play the spy music 
it doesn't mean that it's it's you you understand what makes that genre tick and um that's like that's no more encapsulated than this final moment i i really think you captured it well patrick when you were talking about how i think the show kind of wimped out on a lot of stuff like it wimped out on having anything interesting or political to say about you know the refugee crisis or various refugee crises going on in the real world. Um, it wimped out on, on potentially portraying Nick Fury as a villain, right. Or, or potentially portraying Nick Fury as having done things that were unforgivable. Um, we only get, at this point, I don't even know what Nick Fury did. I still don't know what Nick Fury did with, with these scrolls that he brought back to Earth and had them keep us safe doing whatever. Like it's so vague, um, <laughs> right. What he did, and and so like they invade, like they invading Iraq and like working as like special. Like what? What, 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 what like, is it? What is it? Yeah, it, it's not clear. And 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 I think the show doesn't want to touch that yes material because it's too controversial is too polarizing they're like let's not let's just play it safe but it, they ended up making a show for no one that accomplishes nothing as a result and i think that's really unfortunate um a few comments in the chat i just want to highlight uh choi to the world says our family laughed out loud when amelia clark's arm abominated <laughs> that was funny the abomination uh all, that's, that was all, that was a weird part about it i wonder if this is a effects budget issue or wanting to make sure that like hey we cast amelia clark we want to make sure that her face is still on the screen. Um, like they were just like transforming their arms. Like, and you get a, a Drax arm and you get a Groot arm and you get a ice one, the, whatever I that think one that's was. Fine. <laughs> I think that's fine. You know, they want, I, they, yeah, you want to see that it's still Amelia Clark fight, yeah, fighting. Yeah. But yeah. Um, also, Corby in the chat says Amelia Clark didn't have much to do with Star Wars in Star Wars either. She's in solo as well. Um, right. And unfortunately, right. it was, I, I think, yeah, it kind of wasted in that, that movie as well, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so w- there's still other stuff that happens this episode, Patrick. Uh, a fight between Gravik and Gaia ensues. Uh, well, we, actually, we already talked about that. Um, the real Fury catches up with Sonya and explains who Scrody really is. Scrody is shot by Fury and revealed to be a scroll. This whole president in the in the uh, hospital storyline was quite silly. I thought the idea of the president be like, "Give me a gun." It's like, what are you? Do you think you're like Harrison Ford on Air Force One? You know, like what's what's going on here? Anyway, just, you you brought up multiple times like the uh, weird lack of security uh, presence around. Like Fury <laughs> delivers the president from a, yeah. a chaotic situation to this hospital. Is like, I need to stay by his side. And like, do you have clearance? And it's like, no, well, I'm going to get a chair and I'm going to sit outside this door because I don't have clearance. And it's like, it's just extremely silly. I did. Silly I stuff. did like how Scrody is like doing like five jobs. Like there's that scene where he's talking to the president. And he's like, you got to attack. Right? Hey, I brought you in. He like dresses down that that admiral. And he's like, uh-huh. I brought you in here to confirm that we need to attack Russia here. By the way, Mr. President, I've prepared some remarks for you. It's like in <laughs> no world is this. Well. In no world is this guy writing the president's speeches. Like, I, I, guess, I guess in the Avengers universe, he's writing the president's speeches. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, okay. But it's it's a it's rather silly. But whatever, you know. No, yeah. it's no sillier than the rest of this episode. Um, so then, Gaia wakes up the captured humans, including Rhodes and Everett Ross. Ross turns to Rhodes and asks, "How long have you been there? Uh, how long have you been here?" Uh, and it's then conveyed that Rhodes has been under for a long time, I think is the is the phrase that's used. I'm going to pause here and say, I hate this. 
<laughs> like, I, I thought this was very disappointing that the show creates this massive mystery. Like, the problem with this finale is it commits to nothing. Like, it, it, it kicks the can down the road on every single major question. How long was Rhodes Under? Uh, we can answer that later when we get to Armored Wars or whatever the, his movie is, I right? Do think like, it's ans- I do think it's answered. Um, it's just not explicit in the show, but it is. It, so Disagree, but be- whole, but let me... The, okay, the other thing is just, like, it's also, like, um, v- Vara and Nick Fury, uh, like, Vara says, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to go with you to negotiate this Kree peace uh later on and and she's like but but only for a little bit you know like we're not it's not gonna be that long so it's like that way they have options of like nick fury like cut to nick like i'm not gonna be in the marvels right like negotiate cut to var cut to the marvels vara is not there like there's a reason why they did it that way right like so it's 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 to give them options for not having any of these characters there and, and so it doesn't commit to anything okay that said patrick you you think that it does reveal um how long Rhodes has been replaced by a scroll. I disagree with you, but let's hear it. Yeah. So if I, if, I haven't if, even heard what you have to say and I already disagree, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so Rhodes is carried off. Like two people yes. need to um, um, uh, hold him up. He can't seem to use his legs in civil war. He's injured and his legs are repaired Correct. by Tony Stark um, and, and his tech. And so I think the implication there is that at some point, post-Civil War, during Civil War, um, Rhodes is replaced, which means, like, the emotional arc that Rhodes goes on with, like, Tony Stark in particular and the funeral scene in Endgame was all with a swap. And tr- Okay, okay, not true, because no? he was using leg braces in Infinity War and Endgame. So I think it is, I think it's still original Rhodes in Endgame. I hope you're right. I would like to, I I would like to be wrong on I, I like I'm hoping that it's just the show communicating uh hey, he's been under for a while, so like his muscles don't that's what happens when you don't use your muscles for a long time is like you can't you like it would be difficult. No, 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 to, no. no. To he 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 has lost the like original Rhodes has lost the use of his legs. That's why yeah. at the end of this episode they're carrying mm-hmm. original Rhodes out cuz he can't use his legs anymore. Um but original Rhodes also had uh, leg braces that had like glowy things on them, right? Mm-hmm. And we see those in Infinity War and Endgame. Now, people have mm-hmm. said that in Falcon and Winter Soldier, he doesn't look like he has braces on. So it's possible that by that time, like after Endgame, before Falcon and Winter Soldier, that's when the the swap happened. But, I hope. I hope so. I. Do but not the point like- being, the point being, they don't say any of this like they don't explain any of this they like the question is even explicitly asked and they deliberately don't answer it right and i find that extremely annoying i'm just gonna put that out there so um i I think i think it speaks to um i think uh dan brought this up when we did like the the pre-show kind of predictions and 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 discussions where the show was going to go i think like the scroll stuff can come across and did come across as sort of cheap and emotionally undercutting in the comics as well. It's sort of like a problem inherent to the scroll. It's like, it seems really cool that, oh, the shape-shifting alien race could be, like, could be anyone. And how long could it have been? But then in, like, reality, from a narrative perspective for the audience, it's a huge emotional cheat that doesn't, like, does not feel 
it doesn't matter who they applied it to. Like if for some reason they got Thor in here and it turns out like since Thor two, like he's been a scrawl, like, yeah, that's surprising. But like, it, I, I don't enjoy that. Like that robs me of like everything that yeah. the journey he went on with Loki, which is like so key to like what makes that character interesting over the last 10 years. So there's Loki just like, there's is no... so key. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> You're a poet you know and you mean? didn't like... know it, Patrick. Um, <laughs> So, uh, by the way, people in the chat are pointing out that Rhodes was uh, wearing a hospital gown when he was rescued, uh, mm-hmm. and he was also wearing a hospital gown in Civil War. So a lot of people are saying, like, oh, it was during Civil War. So it was it was actually scroll Rhodey for the entirety of Endgame, you know, after Civil War. It, you know, maybe, but I don't Ooh. think so. Like, just because he's Ooh. wearing a hospital gown doesn't mean that's the case. So... It also uh, may allow them to do this picking and choosing that you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 they specifically didn't answer it so they can address it later. So and- all the fans are like us and it's like, wow, that would really rob us of our emotional <laughs> journey and undercut those previous films. Like, okay, well, shit. Well, then, okay, it happened. Somebody shows up, game. you know, there's like a cousin Greg showing up to Kevin Feige's <laughs> daily stand-up and he's like, hey, the tweets are bad about the roadie. <laughs> We sh- turns out turns out that extremely emotional sequence in Endgame where Rhodey says goodbye, it shouldn't have been an alien the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're not even done with the episode yet. No, we're not. Um, the president declares war on the remaining scrolls while Fury attempts another reconciliation with Vara. Uh, elsewhere, Gaia and Sonya team up. Team up. Uh, and. <laughs> it, it's worth pointing out that Gaia is literally one of the most powerful creatures in the universe at this point, by the way. <laughs> she has yes. Captain Marvel powers, Thanos arms, Drax power, Mantis thing. She's like... Yes. So uh, I guess um, she really liked Olivia Coleman. Like She really liked the cut of <laughs> Olivia Coleman's jib, jib, and that's why they're teaming up. It wasn't um, much of a pitch. Uh, it was just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, us. It was. It was actually very similar to my pitch for Patrick Klepek to come cover this show on Decoding <laughs> TV. Hey, huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> it's, um, it's just, it, it feels like one of those things that if we never see Gaia again, are you surprised? <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Um, but yeah, f- so Fury yells at the president for turning humans against the scrolls, uh, who and, because they're now hunting scrolls for sport. And there's a series uh, again, great action scenes where like yeah, these people really just thrilling. F- freaking mow down these scrolls, and uh, or not scrolls, right? Like that moment where it's like the prime minister for the UK or, or whatever, like where they when they uh, when they capture the original bodies from the scroll base. Um, like you see that one of those, uh, uh, one of those characters who had been a scrawl earlier in the season and then a vigilante comes up, mows her down. And it's just the, it's the original person like resuming their, right. their post. And it's like, that is, wow, that seems like a cool show. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, in fact, I think we got an email to that, uh, to that effect. Um, Sean from Vancouver writes into decodingtv at gmail.com saying, I need to talk about the ending of the show. Uh, it ends where it could have began. 
The brief shots of hate groups and vigilantes targeting and killing both scrolls and suspected humans could have been a launchpad for a far more compelling show. The violent targeting of refugees and groups attempting to integrate into a new society could have been a more fascinating and emotionally motivated drama, urging Fury and Talos to try and protect those hidden on Earth. Even the title Secret Invasion could have instead been a fear-mongering banner used by a wider xenophobic movement. Not to say it couldn't have still had Gravik violently pushing back or Olivia Coleman's cavalier brutality, and this doesn't mean they would have been able to pull it off 100% successfully, but it puts you on just far more interesting ground, and honestly is what I thought they might do back when the show was first announced. Just sharing my two cents, big fan of both of your work. End quote. That's from Sean from Vancouver. Uh, I think you really resonated with that perspective, right, Patrick? I mean, that's a that's a thrilling sequence at the end where it's like, oh, wow, like... The idea of like every everyone's a suspect and we're just m- mowing people down. Very interesting, right? And it's genu- like it's you know, and a, now part of it is because the, sh- the the sequence is very like short and brief, and like you're not given a ton of context. That's sort of just taking in like the violent and visceral imagery. But like that shot of the woman, like the, the prime minister, being gunned down, and it turns out she doesn't turn. It was like like just that scene alone is like you. It just seems really ripe for storytelling, yeah. and like what is act like the issue we're having with Scrody and it's like, look, I don't, it sounds cool to like have an Avenger be a scroll, but I don't actually like as a, as a viewer, it turns out I don't actually want that. That is, that is that I don't actually, it sounds neat. It's uh-huh. a trick though, but it's not actually uh, emotionally interesting, but what would, would have been emotionally interesting is exactly that is, is Fury coming back down from space like when it's been revealed that there are actually a million scrolls on earth and like, what do we do about the good scrolls and the bad scroll? Like you, you'd be able to use those elements of captain Marvel and how it flips the um, like anxieties over uh, outsiders on its head for the scrolls. And it, I think it actually could have the kind of imagery that we were worried about this show playing with, whether it was just like actually engaging with it or just appropriating it. And thus like, flinging itself into potentially like positive imagery of like right-wing talking points, this specific approach, I think would would have allowed them to maintain more of the interesting thematic parts of Captain Marvel. And also like, yeah, it would be kind of fucking spooky to have a bunch of shape-shifting aliens that uh, like could be our world leaders. And we don't know. And I, I just feel like there was, they could have stayed in that world and had a more rich, vein to to tap into and it's i don't know if this this the writing in secret invasion was so like kind of poor top to bottom like i don't think there's a guarantee that because they pulled off one thrilling sequence that they would have been able to spin an entire yarn out of it but it does seem like it starts from a better place um than than where they started with this show so uh fury calls the president and is like i can't believe you did that Dude, like real one term stuff, bro. Super uncool, bro. <laughs> like WTF, bud. Uh, and then, hey, by the way, Bounty face emoji, Mister President. And by the way, it turns out that the Cree want to negotiate for peace. Great. Um, wow, that's out of nowhere. That's a great thing to introduce in the last eight minutes of the show. Um, anyway, Fury and Vara reconcile and kiss under her true face, and she agrees to help Fury negotiate peace with the Kree, but, you know, maybe not for that long, because she's probably going to be back on Earth, and we, we're probably never going to see that character again, so. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think I think. Okay. Right. Um, Jim writes into decodingtv at gmail.com, 
I just finished watching the last episode, and to say this series is a missed opportunity is an understatement. Um, I won't get into the minutia of things this show flopped all over, but my focus is on, on the macro. What does this show mean for the MCU? The show has left M- the MCU in a mess. We have a violence-condoning president advocating for people to go off and kill people who they believe to be scrolls. Very troubling. Whoever wrote and conceived this plot seems to not have any appreciation for history or today's political and cultural climates. This hyperbolic tone-deaf approach does not add to any conversation about how to address any current social issue, nor does it accurately hold up a mirror in a meaningful way for us to think about how we treat people. It doesn't take the time to drive home the theme in any thought-provoking way, which is a real shame because science fiction and comics have often been a great place to explore social issues in meaningful ways. Add on to this Nick Fury just piecing out and leaving the planet to burn is beyond ridiculous and an incredibly and disappointing and crappy way for Nick's story to end if it is the end. I don't think it's the end, by the way. We're going to see more of it in the Marvels. What is this show trying to say with Nick Fury? My best interpretation is heroes and remarkable people can only do so much. It's up to you, humanity, to fix your own damn problems. If that was the message, they buried it in an anticlimactic action sequences in a humdrum spy story. Secret Invasion really hurts Nick Fury's legacy in the MCU, and that might be the most tragic casualty of this six-episode mess. I have no idea how the MCU will get itself out of this narrative pit trap they've tossed themselves into. My worry is they'll just gloss over it and pretend it never happened while they try and get themselves out of their Kang problem. And when the glossing over happens, it will fully affirm that the show was a complete waste of time. End quote. Any thoughts on that, Patrick? I think they're right. Um, I mean, ultimately, while it is extremely disappointing that the most likely scenario for the Marvels is to broadly ignore or just make a passing reference to the events of secret invasion where they leave the character is in, in my mind, it's like, okay, can we just, maybe we should just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> like go back to Nick Fury where we were ahead of any of the events here because they just don't add up. And I don't, I'm not convinced that character arc, as I mentioned earlier, like is actually understood by the show, like the gravity of like where they've left this character. I don't think the show recognizes acknowledges or is going to wrestle with. And I think instead where we're going to end up in the Marvels is I don't think we're going to get any insight into a fury that is like dealing with like trauma post snap and the events of their lives. I think we're going to get back to a fury. That's like, I got to wrangle these Avengers, you know, like sort sort of thing, which is fine. He's very good at that role. And it's been a delight to watch him um, be that role in so many films. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm with uh, this, 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 the person writing in that I, I think the show is ultimately going to be forgotten and just paved over with the the progress of the films, which it is clear that is where the priority uh, is is being laid in terms of the storytelling consequences. And I just, I just can't imagine the Marvels doing anything more than like a pat. Like if Vara's in it, it's for like a brief prologue scene that sets up the conflict with the Cree that will probably be a central point of the Marvels, but it's not like we're going to get a big dinner scene with them uh, or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think that's all right. Um, the disappointing, one of the big disappointing elements of the show is that it makes, well, you know, before I get to that, let me just say, I think a lot of the show can actually be described using Simpsons references. Um, so I sent you like Poochie died on the way back to his home planet like that's basically how 
it handles the character of Nick Fury like, oh, he just he just went back to his own planet. Like, you know, he was on Earth and he went back to his own planet. But uh, one of the best Simpsons episodes of all time, the monorail episode. I think it's the monorail episode, right? Where Leonard Nimoy is like, well, my job here is done. And Barney says, but you didn't do anything. And he says, didn't I? He says, didn't I? And then he like beams away. It's like, that's like like Nick Fury in this episode. He's like, well, my job here is done. And he's like, you didn't do anything. And actually, you arguably made things much worse. Hmm, the the, the scrawl the scrolls the, the 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 people that I have aligned myself with and have an emotional bond with over our outsider status in society, they're all being killed. Well, hopefully someone, hopefully, hopefully Sonia figures that one out. We, we need to take like one more moment to acknowledge how terrible the ending of Secret Invasion is, right? Where Nick Fury just f's off back into space. Uh. The earth is burning. Like, scrolls are being actively hunted and murdered. Like, uh, Judge Jury, like, Judge Dredd style. Like, people are being executed without any due process whatsoever. And he's like, okay, well, time for me to leave. Like, this is not. <laughs> Got a space elevator to catch. What? What is happening? What is going on? Why? Why? What, yeah, how, there's, how, no, there's no the fact that there is, the, the, is would, would what we know of Nick Fury would Nick Fury the character we know really feel like this is a good time to leave Earth like I'm, this is why like I again I can't speak to it it feels like the thing we're gonna like read in a book in like ten years where it's like chronicling this era of of Marvel and the problems it ran into but this. It feels like there are two different shows. Like we saw endings to two different versions of mm-hmm. Secret Invasion. Yeah, one yeah. in which, uh, like w- Fury fails, and what he ends up doing is failing the Skrulls, failing humanity, and he's he didn't pull off the mission. Yeah, Gravik's dead, but right. the con- like Gravik's like like th- th- uh, the consequences are like Earth in chaos and the Skrulls being hunted by vigilantes yeah so so maybe there's like a very then, dark there's like a dark yeah and en- ending which would be like which would be very bold right of the of right and then, there's an, then there's another then and then there's this other ending that ignores that part um which is like oh he you know he if you deleted that scene with the president and those violent scenes with the right. scrolls and just just pulled it out or, of or keep keep the violent scenes and just deleted that scene where he talks to the president on the phone Right. It would I mean, be he like he doesn't know that this is happening. Like right. it turns out because of the actions of the scrolls being revealed, of of Talos like being at the scene of the presidential assassination, like like he's he just doesn't know yet, like this is what's happening. But it's that scene and then him screwing off to space, like they just feel so disparate. And it feels like they just kept in a bunch of scenes from different versions, different tonal conclusions to the show that don't add up at all. Uh, I agree completely. It does feel weird, and I would love to read the oral history of uh, of mm-hmm. the whole situation. But anyway, to conclude, you know, I, I want to mention, by the way, if we have a, we had a big crowd tune in on the YouTube for us to um, talk about secret. Invasion. I think the word is out that the the, the show is, was bad, and so people like <laughs> yeah. people want to people want to see a public execution. Um, the viewer count is higher than the Rotten Tomatoes score. Not not where you want to be uh, from is, Marvel's perspective. That is correct. That is correct. Um, uh, so I want to say hey, th- thanks for tuning in and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts 
or at uh, podcast.decodingtv.com. Patrick Klepek and I will be covering other shows full circle. The Steven Soderbergh miniseries will be covering next week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, great show to talk about and, and other shows coming down the line as well. So, yeah. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube.com uh, slash Decoding TV to, to get live episodes and video versions of the episode. Be sure to also check out uh, Patrick's podcast, Remap Radio, and also his newsletter, Crossplay, at patrickklepek.substack.com. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. All right. Thank you. F- final comments. What's a big bummer about Secret Invasion is it makes everything that came before it worse. Like, it's one of those thing, those sequels that makes the stuff that came before it worse as a result. Okay? Here are some things that I'm going to list off that it may make worse. The character of Nick Fury, as we've just discussed. <laughs> like, is this a guy that would just, like, leave the world burning like it is right now, you know, in an even worse state than when he left it the the, the first time? Um... Is this a guy who doesn't give a shit about whether Ben Mendelsohn is dead? You know, like, all these things. Captain Marvel, which came out four years ago, I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, it's great about Captain Marvel. Very subversive. Hey, the green alien things that look threatening, they're actually the good guys. And the good-looking Cree people played by Jew Law, they're actually the bad guys. Like, ooh, we've upset this. Yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? Um, <laughs> hey, nice, neat, neat little twist. Completely undone by this show because a lot of the green alien people are also evil, and uh, but now we're hunting them. So you should feel you should feel bad that we're hunting them, but also some of them were kind of bad earlier. So like maybe mm. just feel mixed about it. Okay, <laughs> it makes it worse. That that sucks now. Okay, and then possibly also like Rhodes. You know, we don't know when Rhodes was replaced, but like whenever that happened, um, possibly will undercut anything that happened after that point for Rhodes. So this is not a show that is additive. It is arguably subtractive <laughs> to what we knew of, uh, of the MCU, and that's a real shame. Patrick Klepek, we got to wrap up, but I'll give you the last word. Any closing thoughts? Uh, I think uh, when people are making, you know, it's like you're getting into the MCU, and it's like, here's a watch list. Like, just leave it off. Like, <laughs> for, to, your point, to your point of, like, it being a negative addition – uh, uh, it, the, the, just let that, you know, let that funeral scene be that funeral scene. Don't, don't watch Secret Invasion. Don't just don't, uh, don't worry. Scrody, Scrody doesn't exist. Didn't let, let the funeral scene in Endgame, you know, let the funeral scene in Endgame be the last thing you watch. So anyway, he is Patrick Klepek. I am David Chen. Thank you for listening to Decoding TV. Uh, again, be sure to keep it subscribed here on the YouTube as well as on the podcast. Uh, a lot's more to come this summer. Uh, Patrick, thanks for chatting today. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 